turn to the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 2. And we're going to meet one of the most intriguing people in the Bible. A woman, a lady by the name of Rahab. Unfortunately, many times we find the tag that's put after her name and uh, the profession that uh, she at one, at one time had been in. And yet we see that uh, God greatly used her and she's an example and a hero of the faith of what God can do in the life of those who truly believe. Now, in saying that, we see that he says, uh, now Joshua, the son of Nun, um, sent two men from the Acacia Grove or, uh, to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. So notice not only the land, uh, not Jericho, so they went through the land, and uh, of course Jericho was the capital of the Amorites. That was the chief city, although that we know that God had already conquered a couple of other major cities uh, with uh, kings by, uh, by the name of Sion and Og, as far as the men. Heshbon was one of those cities on the east side. And so the Amorites were, had already suffered uh, defeats by the Israelites. And so uh, we see then that um, he says, go view the, 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 the land. Now, why only two spies? That's kind of interesting again. Uh, Forty years before, they sent 12. I think Joshua, of course, was one of those spies. He found out that two good ones is better than tw- uh, 10 bad ones. And so he just sent two spies through the land. And uh, we see that, uh, and we kind of wonder why, because we know that uh, God was going to lead and uh, Joshua was drawing up some plans, but uh, really, were they more messengers? Were they more just trying to find out the mood of the people or whatever it was? Uh, a lot of times, spy networks that are set up aren't looking for a, a military, many times, ultimately they are, but they're looking for what, are the mood of, what is the mood of the people? What are the, what's the mood of the troops? If we could put somebody in there, are they discouraged? Are they ready to give up? Uh, where's their weak points? Where are the people that just are slackers or whatever? And so uh, they were looking for the weak points that were in and around Jericho. And so we see now that he says, go, go view the land and especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot by the name of Rahab. Um, and lodged there. Now, that word Rahab, many people have tried to over to um, finesse it and make it sound like uh, uh, well, make, well, it does. It can mean in the Hebrew, uh, it can mean uh, innkeeper. But uh, also, we know that in the book, or uh, she's mentioned three different times in the book of um, of Matthew. Hebrews and James, and she is called Rahab, Rahab the Harlot. So the Greek pretty well interprets what, uh, what her profession was at one time. And it was told the king of Jericho, um, and again, the king of Jericho knew. He says, behold, the men have come here tonight from, uh, from the children of Israel to search out our country. So right off the bat, this was something that the king knew about. It wasn't something where they just were, they were very, they were lousy spies if he knew about it before they even got there. And so obviously they got in mixed with the people, maybe their business back and forth. We see later on that uh, the gates were uh, securely shut up. Uh, 
when Israel crossed the Jordan. We'll see that later on. But right now, you still have the gates had been open except at night. And so maybe they had been infiltrated or whatever it was. The rumor, the spies that uh, the Amorites had uh, told the king of Jericho. Now, he had all kinds of reasons to be afraid, and we'll see uh, that in a moment. So the king went to Rahab saying, bring out the men. But uh, think about it. Uh, he had heard about the, the largest army or the, big, the most powerful army in all the world uh, dying. He, had, he knew about Heshbon and Sion and Og, uh, uh, the kings of those the cities or the, of uh, Heshbon and other cities, that uh, they had been defeated. He had every reason to be very concerned about those two million people that were on the east side of the Jordan. And so, and then again, uh, these people knew about, he was only a few miles away from a, a city named Sodom and Gomorrah that had been destroyed. And these things were still legends or these things were still in the back of people's minds, much like uh, if we say something like um, uh, Lexington and Concord. Well, we know what, you know, there again, uh, you could put all kinds of things or Paul Revere's right or something like that. You can say, you, you know generally what they're talking about and how that God delivered the country or whatever. Well, this is a basically the same type of, you know, 40 years before this king and even Rahab probably weren't alive at the time. Or if, uh, if uh, the king was, he was probably um, just a toddler. And yet we see that, um, that uh, they were concerned. He said, bringing our men who came to you. He said, bring me the men who came to you who have entered into your house for they have come to search out all the country. So he not only knew that they were there, but he knew whose house they were in. And that's a, kind of an intriguing situation, how that uh, he even knew that the woman had allowed him, allowed him in. Then the woman took two, the two men and hid them. And she said, yes, these men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut, when it was dark, that the men went out. And where the men uh, went, uh, went whether, where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up uh, to the roof of the house and hidden them in the stalks of flax, which she had laid on the roof. Now, here's one of those major dilemmas that you chew over whenever you go to graduate school or seminary or whatever. Um, you can't say anything other than th this woman told a what? A bald-faced lie. Did she not? She, did, she, did she lie? And so we see that she's introduced as a liar and uh, also as a woman of ill fame. And so we see that she was a, uh, she was a condemned person. She was an Amorite. And we see that she had every reason to, to be the lowest of sinners, as we might consider liars and prostitutes and all the rest. And yet we see through this that uh, God's wonderful grace, because, you know, and someone has said that uh, Rahab is commended for her faith and not by, for her actions at times. And many times whenever you get people saved or even from bad backgrounds and they have been saved for a while, they don't know many times the, the sin that they're in. I was talking to a couple back several years ago. No, they came here for a while. And I counseled with them and dealt with them. And it wasn't long before I found out that they'd been living with each other for years. 
And, when, and of course, I don't tell the rest of our people that and all that. If you figured it out, then you know who I'm talking about, but I never told you. And, um, but they grew up uh, in homes where their family had been like that. Her mother, their families, you know, their mother and fathers had lived that way, and they didn't really see any problem with it. And yet they were wanting to follow the Lord. Now, of course, with that, what do you do? <gasps> you sinner, do you start calling them all kinds of names or do you do, try to deal with them? And so even though they had faith and even and now they've moved away, they've moved, uh, they were from closer to Chicago and she's back north of Chicago now. And uh, every once in a while, I'll text them and just see how, or actually they have split up because one thing they realized once they started talking, hey, we were living in sin and, it, you know, whatever. I, but uh, then again, they were troubled in the first place. And I told them, you know, just, just honest with them, you know, until you get some things right there, God's not going to bless this union or whatever. And they started realizing they just really weren't for one another. So I don't want to get too deeply into it. But other than the fact that they just really did, they grew up in that area. And they, you know, what we're doing is wrong. And I'm going, we're living in the United States and these people are college kids and they don't really see the wrongness of their living arrangements. <laughs> Isn't that hard? But uh, remember way back in Genesis chapter 15, the Lord talked about the Amorites and he said, we're going to, uh, all the 430 years before, when he talked to Abraham, he said, you're going to conquer, or Israel's going to conquer the, Amor the Amorites and the Canaanites and so forth. But the sins of the Amorites, and you'll see this throughout Scripture, throughout the, the Torah, the, uh, the first five books of Moses, you'll see this phrase several times. But the sins of the Amorites were not yet full. 430 years God let them slide. Now, uh, of course, uh, with that, they developed, they were so corrupt by the time that, uh, uh, that Joshua came along that... Uh, uh, Rob sent me a, uh, a uh, what do they call it, Anything, something on the internet, um, an address where he wanted me to look it up. And uh, archaeologists have seen some of the just the horrendous things that the Amorites were doing uh, in, their, in their tribes and in their nation. And child sacrifice, I mean, just gross immorality and abuse. Uh, just filthy stuff that uh, uh, that they were getting into, and or that they were in, and so they had gotten to the point where you know, God's God's judgment on sin is certain, and it's also timely. It's interesting how that God knew for a thousand, for a, a half a millennia, that these people, if they don't turn back to me or whatever, and He knew that most of them wouldn't, that one day He was going to judge them and judge them very severely. You say, well. What does that do with uh, my life today? Well, you know, if we keep going the way we're going today, folks, we're going the way of the Amorites, are we not? When is the point? Where is the red line that we talk about? Where is the point that God says, okay, I'm done with this country. When I'm done with this church, or I'm done with this uh, family, or I'm deal done with this individual, where he says, I can't go any farther with them, and their judgment is certain. And so this is where... Uh, we see that this was all, you know, God had known this for half a millennia or m longer. And now the time has come. But we see still with this, and this is what makes this intriguing, the whosoever will is still out there. And that's where Rahab comes into play. Because she saw what everybody else in Jericho saw. And she turned to God and 
those around her who trusted what she said were saved also. And so it's a, it's a beautiful picture of salvation and grace, and it's a horrible picture of sin and judgment. And so we see now that, uh, so the king of Jericho sent, and the, so when the women saw him, she lied about it, and yet she lived in a country of lies. Uh, can we justify it? No. It says, by faith, uh, uh, over in the book of Hebrews, it uh, says, by faith, um, that uh, Rahab uh, received the spies and sent them out another way. She was not commended for her actions. She was commended for her faith. Now, many times when we get people saved, and I'm dealing, I've talked about people that I'm dealing with, a uh, couple of men, uh, that I'm counseling now. I really haven't seen one of our fellows for a while. I, they're getting well on the internet, so I don't mention names or whatever. But... Uh, uh, but they, 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 I get all kinds of walk, especially with the halfway house down here where a lot of people coming out of prison. And of course, some of you have talked to one of the men that we talked about, and he grew up on the streets of Chicago. Well, you can imagine what his life is like. Well, it's great to see that he's, he's hungry for the things of God. And I you know, work with him patiently. Do I see all kinds of problems with him? Yes. But do I just make a list? Okay, now do you check this off, this off, the? No. But I deal, we deal with them as the Holy Spirit and as situations through the Holy Spirit work out so that we start leading them in the paths of righteousness for God's namesake. Amen? So whenever we get people into this church, we don't condemn them from the life that they're living. We want to see what God can do in their lives. Does that make sense? So yes, we, uh, we might have people from all walks of life come here. I think of... Uh, a lady that has visited with us now uh, a couple of times from, uh, from uh, Emily City, where my wife and I have spent 16 years. And she called me up one day, and she had heard about the church. And that lady, I tell you, I thought, man, alive, the calls that I get. And uh, she was all over the place, spiritually and all, kind, and just all, just was, but God was dealing with her heart. And, uh, and so she started coming, and she loved the ladies' groups that she was in, and so forth, that my wife was teaching and discipling her, and so forth. And come to find out, she grew up on the streets of New York and other places, and just came from a horrible background, and just uh, had all. But God saved, God wonderfully saved her and worked in her life, and uh, and now not only that. Uh, she is, she's gone back and asked forgiveness from people. And she started taking uh, kids in, uh, teenagers into her house that came from troubled uh, homes. And so she, she went and started, what do they call it, foster parents or whatever. And many of those teenage girls got saved and all kinds of other things happened. Uh, but I tell you, uh, in a lot of places today, oh my, this girl, she grew up in the wrong place. No, well, we can't accept her. No, we accept anybody who wants to come. Now, of course, you work out situations to protect other people and reputations and all kinds of things. But folks, we're living in a sinful age, are we not? And so here we have a woman who, you know, she's just used to lying. She, you know, and from her profession, you can imagine how much she did lie. And so... Again, uh, there was nothing to her, but God did not commend that. He commended her faith. What would have happened if she told the truth? What would have happened if she got saved and all of a sudden she became perfect and she said, no, I cannot tell a lie. 
And she told the truth. I don't know. But, you know, then again, you get into the ethics of war or in spying. Could you as a Christian be a spy? Could you be a mole for the government and go in and live a false life and lie to people? I think of, I read that uh, the Code Girls, and it was about uh, many of the girls that, uh, that went to Washington and became code breakers in World War II. And, uh, and then they found out the, they found the people who were spies in the Philippines and other places. And uh, they were talking about how difficult it was knowing that they were receiving information from these people, these people living double lives, knowing that many of the Japanese men and people that were around were going to be killed because of the information they were receiving. What would you do with that? That's a difficult one, isn't it? All, someone has said all's fair in love and war, but you find that in the scripture. I can't find it. But those are the ethical questions you try to uh, work out in your mind. I can't tell you. Uh, could I be a liar for the government? Could you? Could I deceive? But then again, you think of deception. If, uh, you know, in war, they call it a feint. So if you fake them out this way and go the other way, aren't you lying to them? You know? So again, what, what do you do with this? And so this woman, uh, there's ethical questions about her, but we didn't, we, the one thing we could say is that, um, that she, it was her faith that saved her. Now, again, uh, I've just said, uh, I've give, given you a can of worms. You can open it up and stir it up all you want to. But those are things that uh, uh, some of the best minds have never really figured out totally. There's all, if you want to get a bunch of um, guys who think they know a whole lot about the Bible, those young college kids, give them that question. You know, uh, what do you do with Rahab the liar? You know, so, uh, and that God bless the lie. And is it ethical to lie in a time of war? And boy, you can get the, these people thinking. I don't have all the answers. I wish I did. I think I know that uh, to, with me, if someone came to my door knowing that they were looking for one of my, now again, it depends on what they had done, but we get into, you give, if you give hypothetical questions, there's always a question, you know, you don't deal with hypotheticals. But if a guy comes to my door and says, I'm going to kill your wife, where is she? I'd say, I don't know, or whatever. I'd do anything I could to, to save her. Wouldn't I? I mean, oh, she's right here. Come on in. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my. No, I wouldn't do that. But, uh, you know, so what do you do in those situations? Uh, I'll leave that to you and the Holy Spirit working in your life. And so there's always hard Bible questions. There's always things that uh, it's hard to deal with. But he says, uh, but she brought them into the roof and notice she hid them in stalks of flax. This woman was uh, uh, illustrious. She was uh, industrious. I mean, she laid them in order and she knew, she, she organized the flax. And this was a Proverbs 31 woman. She, had, she was a very industrious woman. She took care of her family. We'll see that later on. She provided for them even in some illicit ways, but uh, we see that she was not a slouch. She had some moral character about her, although she had some great, deep moral flaws. Then the men pursued, you know, so she sent them out another way, and they pursued them uh, by the road to Jericho, to the fords, and as soon as they pursued them, they'd gone out, and they shut the gate. They shut it up for the night. Now, before they lay down, she came up to the roof. Now, notice the providence. The roof was the very, had to be the very top apartments on those walls. 
And for her to lay the flax up on the top of those walls meant that that was being sun-dried. And also it had to be on the outside of that wall because she was going to put a rope down later on. So all this was providentially worked out for, by the Lord ahead of time. Now, where does providence end and people's free will begin? Uh, they've been arguing about that for 2,000 years. And yet we see that if she'd put that uh, cord out uh, inside, on the inside apartment and on the inside of the wall, they'd have never seen it. And so we see that uh, uh, she put it on. Uh, so she, here we see that it came um, up to the roof. And she said to the men, now notice, uh, she said, I know, and this is just phenomenal. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Jehovah has given you the land. That the terror of you has fallen on us. In Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 18, when Moses begins that great speech, those great speeches to his people, he says that God has prepared a way for you and he has put the terror of the Amorites uh, upon them. Or that the, the fear has fallen upon the Amorites. And so the woman experienced what Moses had told the people back in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 18. And actually even before that, we see that several times that God had referred to Moses and Moses had referred to the people, saying that the terror had been laid, uh, that had fallen upon the Amorites. Now it's interesting, 40 years before, uh, after the great sea crossing, the, that was still the same situation because they had heard, and it was even fresher in their minds, and it was a generation before that uh, these people had, their God had destroyed the gods, uh, had destroyed the gods of Egypt and had destroyed the, the, the army of Egypt. So they knew, and yet the people were terrified. And of course, the whole generation was wiped out as a result. But now we see the terror of the Lord is falling upon us. And to all the inhabitants of the land, we're faint-hearted uh, because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. Notice they knew that. Um, when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, Sion and Og, who were on the other side of the Jordan, uh, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is the God of heaven above and earth beneath. That's the first time we see that phrase. That was never used, the God of heaven and earth. The first time it was never used by Moses. And so we see that... Uh, uh, Amorite prostitute uses the word, the, the term that we use today, the God of heaven and earth. And we see that uh, she called him that um, here in Joshua chapter 2. And we see, now therefore I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since, uh, by, <laughs> of course the Lord, that, oh, by the way, um, he says, that I have shown you kindness, that also you will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and mother, uh, my brothers and sisters and all that they have uh, delivered into our, into um, uh, deliver our lives from death. So she's begging for mercy. And again, we see one of those great things. Now Jericho was a, uh, was the capital. And actually it was the house of the moon God. And this things never change. Uh, what do you see on the flag 
of Islam. And really, you go back and you read the Torah and other things. Um, uh, Mohammed was a moon worshiper. And a lot of the moon, they got a lot of his things from all these old Middle Eastern um, tribal things of uh, the moon god. And it's interesting today, you know, here we have uh, Jericho or the, the descendants of Jericho still fighting this kind of stuff. At least the spiritual descendants fighting the god of heaven. And so, uh, and we can go deeper into that, but uh, I see my time is starting to flee. So those are some things you can study. Uh, if you want, you people who love the internet, to look that up. Now, therefore, I beg you, swear by my Lord. He says, now notice my whole family, again, my house, the house of safety. Uh, and you look back, what happened in, the, in Egypt? When I see the blood, I will pass over you. Anybody that was in that house was spared, right? It didn't, it, as long as they were in that house, if an Egyptian went into that house, they were spared. If, a, if an Israelite did not have the blood, then they were not spared. So whosoever will can flee to safety. And here we're seeing that this woman is saying the same thing. Uh, let anybody that get in my house, spare them. Will you do that, please? Spare them uh, from the judgment of God. Folks, isn't that what we want? We won't see people come into this house. We want people to, to come into this family. We want people to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Now, of course, this, the building isn't going to save them. It'll be the house of God. And, of course, there's no sin in my Father's house. And so we, we know that the idea of the house is an organization, not as a physical being. But uh, we see that uh, whosoever will is protected. And we see we can shut the doors behind us and pray to, to, pray to the Lord as we saw in uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 26, 26 today. And notice he says, and so the men said, our lives for yours, if none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when, not if, but when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Now, several things there. Uh, first of all, we see that these messengers or these spies had complete authority from Joshua. They didn't have to go back, well, let me radio Joshua and see if this will be all right. You know, let me pull up my cell phone and call him because that wasn't part of the bark. And we no, uh, they had uh, authority to issue this promise. And so uh, we see that God was dealing with them and, and, and through them. Then she let them down by a rope or a thread uh, through a window for her, from her house uh, was on the wall and she dwelt on the wall and she said to them, go to the mountain um, lest you per your per meet you, or perceives meet you and hide there three days. There's that three days again and that's another intriguing study. Uh, of course, uh, we're running out of time so we can't trace that but uh, uh, just look at the three days. And of course, the ultimate three days were on the cross. But it's interesting how many times that's mentioned in Scripture. But it says, uh, Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterwards, you may go your way. So uh, notice again, they didn't say, You know, God's protecting us and we know that we're going to get back to them. No, they took necessary precautions not to be caught by the enemy, not to be killed or whatever. Oh, I'm going to serve the Lord, so I'm going to trust him by faith, so I'm going to close my eyes and walk out into the whatever, you know, into the traffic. Uh, you're a fool. <laughs> you, know, you don't do those type things. 
And so people who all by faith and then they go out and do something just absolutely silly or dumb, then uh, God isn't bound to protect us from defiant ignorance and stupidity. But uh, these men did the right thing. And as long as they were doing what God told them, they were in the place of safety, just as safe as she was and anybody that was in that house with her. So the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours. And uh, we see if, uh, if you now he's saying, whoever's not in that house, uh, we can't help you. Now, if your daddy decides to walk out of that house, he's dead man. Uh, if your mom decides that she doesn't want to be in your house at this time, if you can't convince her to stay, she's going to be dead too. And so, but whosoever comes into the house will be spared. And so it um, says, and when we come into the den, we bind this scarlet cord or scarlet thread, as the King James says, on the window. Why scarlet? You look again back at the scarlet blood that, uh, that Abel had to, to shed. Um, you think about, um, about the Passover and again, the blood that was on the door. Uh, just, then you think about the, uh, the scarlet blood that was shed at the altar. And of course, we think of the scarlet blood that was at the cross. But remember what we saw back in Genesis chapter 1. Our sin is not black to the Lord. Our sin is scarlet, red. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And again, as you look through any color, like blue will turn blue-white, red or scarlet will turn scarlet-white. And so when the Lord, our Father, looks through the blood of the Lord Jesus, our sins become what? White as snow. He, doesn't, he remembers our sin no more. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so the, and there again, there's a whole study on the scarlet thread or the scarlet uh, rope or cord all through the Bible, how it ties it together. Um, and so we see, so it will be in verse, we'll try to finish up very quickly, but notice he says in verse 19, so it was that when the whosoever goes outside of your doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head. We've talked about that. And whosoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be uh, on our heads if we kill him. So uh, listen, you keep them in the house and we, it will, uh, we will be the guilty ones if they die. And so they were staking their lives on the promises of God. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from the oath which you made us swear. So I don't know how they would find out, but uh, obviously uh, some things would be shown. Many times when spies are found out, then you can tell. It's kind of like um, uh, whenever I was watching a football game one time and the, the, one of the players said, Coach, they're stealing our signs. And he realized that uh, what they're doing, they, they were reacting to what they were reacting before it ever happened. And so he realized that so they changed their signs and they won the game. And so, so that's what you, you'll have people on one side of the line looking at the other, trying to pick out little things that they're doing wrong. That halfback, when he lines up right here, that means the play is going to be going the other way. Or uh, whenever they, 
the defensive captain raises his arm or does a certain touches his helmet a couple of times, and that means it's going to be a certain formation or whatever. And so then they learn to change their signs. And so, but I don't know exactly how that they were going to find out, but they would, there would be signs that uh, she had told them. And so the, then in verse 21, then she said, according to your words, so be it. And so they went away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. So she was ready. And we know that it's going to be a few days before this ever happens, but she was ready for the coming of judgment. And they departed and went to the mountain and st- stayed there three days and, uh, until the pursuers. And we know the rest of the story that will be picked up uh, later on. But you look at that hall of faith in closing. If you notice, if you go back and you look at uh, Enoch, you look at uh, Cain, Enoch, Abraham, Joseph, you look at um, Rahab, Ruth, David, Moses, you look at those people. What's the one thing in that hall of faith that stands out over and over and over again? The one thing that stands out about each one of those heavenly hall of heroes or faith is that every one of them at one point in their life had to walk alone. They walked by faith. You think of um, Enoch. Uh, He walked with God in a time of great perversion. Abraham had to leave his family and the Ur of the Chaldees to follow the Lord. Joseph had, of course, he was alone for 13 years waiting on God's blessing. Rahab had to leave her whole culture and see whoever would come in. But she was willing to die alone, but as long as she could bring people in, if she can convince them. You think of Ruth. Ruth uh, had to leave her nation and leave her people in, other, in, uh, in order to follow the Lord. You think of David and other people in Scripture. All through, you look down each one of those people in the Hall of Heroes, there was one time in their life, or many times in their lives, where there were extended periods of time where no one could help them except the Lord. Their mom and daddy weren't around. Their church wasn't around. They had to walk alone. And many times the Lord is going to put you and me in situations where it's going to be just him and, uh, him and me, and him, him and you, where no one else is going to be there. I think one of the things that prepared me for the ministry was how many times that I sit out on the back of the fan tail of that ship and look around at that vast ocean, realizing that, uh, you know, it was dark at night, no clouds, and just realize if I fell over, then no one would miss me until I had to go to work and I didn't show up. And you just think about all the, I mean, just how lonely I was. It seemed like there was no one around except the Lord. And I think back in those times, and I was thinking, oh, my Lord doesn't love me. But then I started realizing that, uh, you know, really, in order to walk alone in the ministry, even dealing with hundreds of people at times, you still, there's times where you realize you're alone. And so it is in your life. When I say hundreds of people, uh, that's variable. But there again, many times your life will affect scores of people. But then... You know, but what will God do with you alone? You know, as that old song says, you must walk that lonesome valley. You must walk it by yourself. No one else can walk it for you. You must walk it by yourself. 
And so um, there again, you notice that the life of faith sometimes and many times is a time when it's just you and God. Just you and no one else understands you. Your family, the workplace, um, the culture, the school. That you realize, hey, nobody really understands me. But I'm going to stand for the Lord anyway. And I'd learned, uh, did I always, uh, did it, I wish I could go back. You know, I, I would like to think that I, some of these b- little uh, stories are read or whatever. And usually, I, d- I don't really believe a lot of them. But uh, I think about one that I just really irked me a lot. Was uh, about uh, a guy who got saved and he was wonderfully saved. And just everything changed in his life. And he would uh, 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 kneel and pray at, uh, at the, his his bunk every night and the, the rest of the guys were showing, throwing their boots at him and all that. And he would polish their boots and send them back to him and all that. Uh, folks, that doesn't happen. Uh, whenever people threw boots at me, I threw them back, <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, I was just a fighter. I came from a family of fighters. You know, my dad was uh, always talking about fighting. And, you know, I, uh, I'm a very uh, lovable guy now. But at one time, I was very competitive. But so uh, I... <laughs> Uh, I was a failure, if that was the case. If that's the, if that's the goal that uh, we're supposed to be. Did Joseph, we don't see any sin that he did, but do you think he had problems? Did Moses have a few problems? Did David have a few problems? Folks, uh, even though we have trouble, aren't you glad that he sees through our faults and sees our need? And though a man fall, yet with the Lord, what will he do? He will uphold him with his hand. And that's why I tell fathers, that's why I tell men especially, the best, best thing that many times your kids can see is when you fall and you fall flat on your face in faith and you look like the biggest hypocrite and when you get up and walk and say, okay, that's over with, but I'm going to ask forgiveness and we're going to go on. I think of a couple of times in my life where I had to get the kids together and say, guys, I've really fallen and I hope you'll forgive me because I wasn't a perfect dad. I wish I was. Uh, but praise the Lord, I got four kids in church today, and I think a lot of the problems uh, that I had, I hope that they won't have. But uh, none of us are perfect. Anybody here uh, raise perfect kids? Anybody? Oh, don't raise your hand. No, but <laughs> no. But, uh, no did, did all of us have problems? But so many times, the people that follow us learn more by our mistakes than by our preaching. They learned so much about when we fall that the Lord says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he, 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 he trusts in his way. And he says, though he fall, yet he will not be utterly cast down for the Lord will withhold him with his hand. We'll see Joshua fell a couple of times. Two times that Joshua didn't really pray and seek the Lord's face as God had told him to and both times he had major problems. One was a great defeat, and the other was a situation that uh, persisted through Israel for the rest of its history. And so we see that, uh, that even though he fell, we look at Joshua as a man that walked alone at times. He had to get alone with the Lord and deal with a nation that were a bunch of stiff-necked people. But he couldn't deal with a bunch of two million people until he learned how to deal with the Supreme God alone. And so we will many times must go before no one else is going to understand you. Your spouse won't understand you, but it's just you and the Lord. And Rahab had to leave everything behind. 
in order to follow the Lord. And yet she brought a lot of family members with her. And she became, and boy, this is a great study, but uh, you know what happened to her. She became, as a Gentile, as a prostitute, she became in the line of the Lord Jesus Christ. She became an ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that grace? Is that forgiveness? Is that restoration? Is that what God can do with anybody who's willing to deny themselves and follow him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for what it can do in our lives because we know it's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So Lord, take your word tonight and apply it to our hearts. May we be willing to walk in adversity for you. May, when no one else understands us, may we trust you through thick and thin. When our family members hurt us because they think that we are Bible thumpers or whatever else, or that we're taking away their freedoms or all these different things we're hearing today, may we lovingly and caringly say, I'd rather follow you than to follow man. Bless your people, Lord. Use us mightily, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.